All right, we're going to talk now about the Ukraine-Russia situation, specifically oligarchs. And I'm sure you've heard that term, right? Part of the Western world's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been to try and inflict as much financial pain as possible, not only on Vladimir Putin, but his cronies, known as the oligarchs, which basically are fabulously rich Russians, so rich they have the power to influence government. That's essentially what an oligarch is. Um, Very, very rich, more money than you know what to do with, and enough money to influence actual government policy, typically to your own benefit. And that's exactly what Russia's been uh, for quite some time, an oligarchy. Um, Now, when we're talking about how much money these people have, it is insane. I mean, it is wealth that it's really hard to wrap your head around sometimes. It's just billions and billions and billions of dollars in property and planes and yachts and you name it. Um, Now, there's a new online database that's documenting all of this. It's kind of mind-blowing to go through it. Uh, Joining us to talk about what's going on and how this all works, because it's international, of course, and it's extremely important to sort of try and come up with an idea of what we're even talking about here, which isn't easy to do. So Louise Shelley joins us now. She's the director of the Terrorism, Transnational Crime and Corruption Center at George Mason University. Uh, Louise, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. I mean, first of all, this this new database is is just, uh, I think there are about 18 billions documented so far. Uh, it's It's almost impossible to track all of this money, is it not? It's very hard because it's hidden in shell companies and the great secrecy that accompanies these oligarchs' wealth. When we talk about how much money we have here, though, I mean, Roman Abramovich, who is the owner of the Chelsea Premier League, they figure he's worth $8 billion. I mean, he has properties all over Europe. Oleg Deripaska, about $6 billion. He's got a mansion in London, villas in Italy, the super yacht. How do you go about trying to build a catalog and, you know, this Russian asset tracker? How will they do this kind of work to try and get to the bottom of it? In some cases, the individuals have been named, like, knowing that that Abramovich owns Chelsea. But what is different about this database that has been compiled by the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project is that they have been identified with um, and have helped investigate many of the leaks from offshore havens and from banks. And in these data leaks, we've been able to see the money movements of many of the corrupt individuals that move money for Putin or the oligarchs that have money at the grace of Putin. For example, in one of these leaks, you have a cellist who's close to Putin who has billions of dollars. Have you ever heard of a musician with billions of dollars? <laughs> no. But in the Panama Papers, that was a leak of you know, secret accounts that went into Panama. One could find this information of of Mr. Of Mr. Erdogan, who, who is a cellist. And he's also been investigated for his holdings in the art market by the U.S. Um, Permanent Committee on Investigations. So you need to go through a lot of sources to find this information. Why is it important that they do it? I mean, I, we know these sanctions are, are designed to, you know, in some cases, seize the asset of oligarchs and Putin and things like that. Um, is, is that the reason? Is that why it's so important to get some understanding of who has what where? I mean, it's important because this wealth was acquired through corruption, and many of these oligarchs worked with organized crime. 
and intimidated people to acquire this wealth. For example, Deripaska, who controls the aluminum industry in Russia and has holdings throughout the world, there were over almost four dozen people murdered before the ownership rights went to him for the aluminum factory that he owned. So this goes back into the early Soviet period and the very corrupt and criminal practices that led to the rise of this oligarchs. So it's important that we pay attention to this. We didn't pay enough attention to it previously. But it's also important that maybe some of these assets, if they can be seized and not just frozen of the oligarchs, can be used to help rebuild Ukraine and pay for the enormous cost of maintaining the refugee population and the displaced people in Ukraine. Will we ever know? Will we ever be able to determine exactly who holds what where? I mean, you've got to think that part of the game, if you want to call it that, that these oligarchs and Putin have played for this long is to make sure that they're they're insulated as best they can be, right? They have tried really hard. Yeah. But, for example, Canada, your country, has done a lot to try and increase understanding of who owns what assets. It's done a lot to do what is called establish open beneficial ownership registries. And if other countries in the world follow Canada's example, it will be much easier to to do, because maybe they've hidden these assets in the past, but to keep holding them, they need to show who's behind them. Um, How long... I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of this kind of a project, we know, I don't know how long the situation in Ukraine is going to last, but is this something that will continue? And is there a possibility that the the oligarchs are going to change their stance because the the pain they're suffering will be enough to convince them that there's another way to go here and Putin is the problem? Some of them have said that they're against the war. And being against the war is a prohibited statement in Russia these days. You can get 15 years in prison for saying you're against the war. Some of them have not criticized Putin, but they control the key sectors of the economy in Russia, and that they have enormous influence. And he tries to dismiss this now, but I am sure there is dissatisfaction growing in Russia with the way this war is going and the consequences for Russia, and they can play an important role in this political environment. That's the, that may, uh, it makes sense to me, Louise. Have we seen any examples before? Like, I mean, if you've got these oligarchs with, you know, the billions and billions and billions of dollars, which in some ways become useless to them because they're international pariahs, they can't travel, they can't go anywhere, they can't do anything, um, it seems like a really effective lever to pull. Have we seen it ever work in any other instances? You know, sanctions have not been so effective in in some countries, but these oligarchs are very impressed with their reputations, and their reputations are absolutely key to them. They, They say, you know, in their legal statements that they want to be recognized as philanthropists. They want to be recognized for the good works that they're doing. And so by freezing them out of this, public presence that they have so sought, it is an enormous blow to their egos, just like going after the yachts that they own. Yeah. And so Russians are different. They're not the same as um, 
as powerful people in other countries. There's a different mentality, and these sanctions may work better against this particular community than it has against others. Very, very interesting. Louise, thank you so much for your insight. I appreciate you joining us today. You're welcome. And I hope we can all do something about this together. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll pass on how we can do that. Thank you very much.